Labor Day special. I hope everybody's having a great Labor Day. Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton, Westminster, as well as Superbook Sports. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, of course, Arif Dean. Um, just a few few more weeks till we're there, Arif. A few more weeks till we're sitting in training camp. It's supposed to be in the end of summer mentally, and we're going to be sitting there freezing with coats on and pants on and um, trying our best to stay warm, but I'm going to have it no other way. I'm excited for it. The heat here in Denver has been too much, mm-hmm. and nothing like stepping into that rink when the heat's too much. So I'm I'm ready for it. Arif, how are you? I'm I'm excited, and I'm ready. I'm actually, at the time of this recording, I'm 48 hours away from spending 10 days in Istanbul. So that's my last hurrah. By the time I get back, the Avalanche will already be in San Jose for their uh, rookie tournament showcase. And then three, four days later, training camp starts. So we're literally 16 days away from training camp, and I'm going to spend 11 of them in Turkey. So that's going to be fun. But it's really weird. Like, the Avalanche had a short summer because they won the Stanley Cup and because COVID pushed the Stanley Cup final to June 20-something. And this also feels like the longest summer, and I've never felt more refreshed to start a season. Yeah, absolutely. I thought definitely going into it that it'd be it'd be a shorter offseason, that perhaps by the time puck drop came in October, I wouldn't be quite ready for it. But no, I, I am ready. I'm ready I, a month I, early even. I can't tell if it's – I think it might be – I mean, this is my first – Coincidentally, or, or funny enough, this is going to be like my first year, knock on wood, hopefully, where COVID doesn't interrupt the season. So like it feels like the last three years, you know, summer of 2021, the cup was awarded sometime in July, summer of 2020. Uh, I think we were in the middle of the Stanley Cup final right now, or I think yesterday or two days ago was like the anniversary of Dallas beating the Avalanche in game seven. Like time doesn't make sense when you look at the 2020 season. So real off season. Uh, regular-ish off-season just into late June. I think that's why it feels a little more refreshing, but I, I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. I think, I think it's going to be a fun year. I also think there's an element of excitement for this fall, yeah. especially as a Denver sports fan, right? Not only for the Avalanche going to um, try to return as Stanley Cup champions, but the, the Denver Nuggets have a strong squad built. The Denver Broncos have a strong squad built. I think as a Denver sports fan, there's a lot of excitement, and I understand – a lot of people that are Avalanche fans and a lot of people that probably listen to this podcast aren't necessarily Broncos or Nuggets fans, but I, as as a local myself, I got to think there's a good contingency of locals that listen to us. So um, yeah, I think let's get excited for this fall. It's going to be a fun one and, and I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to it here. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the, the reality is that the coolest thing about living in a city is when the sports teams are good. Like it makes the world of difference. There was a generation of there was, there was an era of me living in Detroit where the Red Wings were the good Red Wings, the ones that were making the playoffs every year and winning Stanley Cups and stuff. The Pistons were, you know, making the finals, beating the Lakers at one point uh, when they had their, you know, their big five with the Wallaces and Tayshawn and, and uh, Chauncey and all that. And uh, the Tigers made the uh, World Series, I think, in 2007, right around that same time. And then the Lions are the Lions. Let's just forget about them. But, like, when you have good teams – there's a buzz among the city that is unlike any other. I'm not a Pistons. Well, I wasn't at the time a Pistons fan or a Red Wings fan or a Tigers fan, but it just made a world of difference compared to the last two or three years I lived in Detroit where everybody sucked. And it just kind of felt like there was like this energy lacking. Nobody was ever talking about sports. Nobody was wearing their jerseys. Nobody really cared. So 
to move to Denver and see that the Avalanche, you know, were right on the upswing. It was the summer they acquired Kadri and Burakovsky and all them. To see the Broncos obviously finally go out and get another quarterback since the Peyton Manning era. To see obviously the uh, well, the Rockies have kind of dwindled down. The first year I moved here, they were good, and then uh, the Nuggets are what they've been and making the Western Conference Final, back-to-back MVPs for Jokic. There's just a buzz. I I couldn't care less about a lot of these other teams. But the excitement of a sports town, especially a city with four teams, which there aren't many of them, there's nothing like it. Yeah, just having contenders makes the world a difference for everyone. I mean, you could tell just from seeing the Avs crowds throughout the last few years, right? It's gotten more energetic. It's gotten more fun to be in the building. And you could just see a whole new wave of younger fans that have joined the the posse, I guess. Um, So, yeah, just having that quality contender just is the world of difference for a city. You're right. And with that— can you think about the fact that we just went through an entire playoffs of people all raving about how the Avalanche have the best fans in the league? And we're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like after the seasons we've had, but then the playoffs came around and everybody was having a good time. It helps when you're 16 and four, never losing and singing karaoke at the games. But like, that's where this team has gotten to. Yeah. And, and kind of hand in hand with that. I don't know if you saw the tweet floating around the last week, but it broke down Russell Wilson's yearly or I guess just contract as a whole with Mm -hmm. the Broncos it broke down Nikola Jokic contract as a whole with the Broncos which bring us to the contract we've been waiting on for quite some time with Nathan McKinnon's right hopefully he's right up there in that echelon of of high paid Denver athletes but we've already discussed that we've already discussed what we think it's going to look like in terms of dollar amounts but I guess right now Arif is there a timeline to this is it is there a point where you want to see this contract get done is if this bleeds into the season a little bit do you think that there's an issue or I guess how are you watching this play out I wouldn't say there's an issue if it bleeds into the season this isn't like John Tavares or even Steven Stamkos who up until the 11th hour we thought was going to leave Tampa Bay in 2016 um or Johnny Goudreau who said I'm going to hold off like this isn't those cases this is a situation where you're fully like if three months ago we expected Nichushkin to sign and it was a matter of knowing the dollar amount, this is even more of a sure thing. So um, I don't think it would be an issue if it bleeds into the season, but I think player, team, nobody wants it to bleed into the season because then it becomes a talking point. Then it's all everybody's asking about. This is, you know, ever since the 2018 season, the top three point producers in the NHL, two of them play in Edmonton, the other guy's Nathan McKinnon. So the Avalanche aren't going to let this get to that point, I don't think. Uh, I think training camp is a big, uh, you know, deadlines kind of ease the mind. Training camp's a deadline, and then uh, preseason is a deadline, and then opening night, October, whatever it is, 12 or 13, that's another deadline. So I think over these next 35 to 40 days, uh, Nathan McKinnon's camp and the Avalanche and Chris uh, McFarlane and Joe Sackick are going to work hard to get this done because it's better to not have it bleed into the season. But if it does, I don't over, I don't think it's necessarily a concern. Yeah, I think traditionally the Avs take their time with this kind of stuff, right? We yeah. all hear, hey, our goal this offseason is to sign Nathan McKinnon. And here as we're winding down the offseason, perhaps there's that thought that creeps into the mind, like what's taking so long? Are they disagreeing? But you look back and even Miko Rantanen, Right. Remember when he signed and it was well into the season already and he wasn't even playing. He was on a holdout. So obviously different circumstances, but still they didn't feel pressured. They wanted to take their time, make the right decision. Looking back at EJ's extension a long time ago that I remember 
was announced during a preseason game. We mm-hmm. came down from the press box to speak to him about the extension. So, um, again, it, that stuff tends to leak into uh, those early parts of the season, and especially since he still has a year for it expires. There's nothing to worry about. Let him play hockey if he has to for the first few uh, games of the regular season and then get it figured out. But you're right. Everybody's coming back. Everybody's going to be rejoined from any vacations or any camps that they're doing right now come training camp. So that's going to be the best time to reconvene and open these discussions again. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think right now it's gotten to the point where pretty much most of the players are already back in town. At least the older ones on the team that have kids that are back in schools. We know that they're already back. But I mean, how many of those are there? It's Cogliano. It's uh, maybe Man. Oh, no. Manson's got a baby. Helm. That's all I could think of. Um, Georgiev, I don't even think he's got any kids. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of people are starting to trickle in. That was a terrible example. The Avs have like two veterans on the team with kids. <laughs> the third one's Eric Johnson, and he's he's as uh, single as can be. Or I think he finally has a girlfriend, but he was single for a while. So, um, but yeah, it's it's September 5th. We're 10 days away from like the rookie showcase and all that. We're 15, 16 days away from camp. I think players, especially in the altitude, are going to be showing up now if they haven't already because two weeks out from training camp, you kind of want to get reacclimated to the altitude and everything. So uh, everybody's ready to rock. This is going to be the time where Nathan McKinnon's uh, agents and, and himself are going to be communicating with McFarland. So uh, that contract will come soon. But did you actually, I love that you mentioned Jokic and uh, Wilson. Did you see the tweet that I put out five days ago? Probably. Probably. So it was uh, the one where I quote tweeted Adam Schefter. He said, Nikola Jokic, five years, 264 million. Russell Wilson, five years, 245 million. Pretty good summer for franchise players in Denver. And the funniest thing about that tweet is I don't even think Adam Schefter knows that one of the best hockey players in the world plays in Denver is also up for an extension. So just the the erasure of <laughs> NHL, I don't even know if I said that word right, of NHL players and just the general NHL by big shot reporters, especially at ESPN, is always fascinating to me. Uh, kind of goes to show just where the NHL is on the pecking order. But even more than that is I think Russell Wilson, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure Russell Wilson is going to be the highest paid quarterback. Uh, I think he got more money than Deshaun Watson. Uh, I think Nikola Jokic is one of or right around the highest paid NBA players. Um, five years, $264 million, Five years, $245 million. All it would take for Nathan McKinnon to be the highest paid NHL player is an eight-year contract at $101 million. And that was basically my tweet. Is it? I mean, it, $101 million is a lot of money. But eight years, $101 million compared to five years at more than double the money is going to be the difference between the highest paid player in the football in in football and in basketball <laughs> and in the football and the highest paid player in hockey. The difference is like night and day. But such is the life in a hard cap world, such is the life in a league where the highest paid player today makes right around the same amount of money as the highest paid player when I was 10 years old. Uh in the NBA, when I was 10 years old, the highest paid guys were making 7, 8, 9, 10 million. Now they're making 50-60. When I was 10 years old, Peter Forsberg was making 11. Now I'm 29. Connor McDavid makes 12 and a half. Not much of a jump. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, just for just for shits, the other day I was looking up the Joe Sackick 
signing the uh, offer in New offer York. Sheet. Yeah. And uh, that was for three years, 21 million, which back then was like, boom, that's a, that's a lot of money. And it had me thinking like, wow, all this time later, Nathan McKinnon still isn't even making 7 million a year. Like that <laughs> offer sheet that was given to Joe Sackick back in what the late nineties, early, early two thousands. So um, yeah, just wild to see how I guess little it's grown, but it, it is what it is. And so with that, you know, they have salary cap gymnastics to kind of figure out with signing Nathan McKinnon to this number because not not so much this year this year's kind of figured out and ready to go but looking towards the future and I brought it up on our last podcast between all of your stars right Landeskog, Rantanen, Makar and McKinnon four guys that's pretty much 40 million dollars you're going to have locked up for the foreseeable future so the conversation we wanted to have today Arif is what is that going to look like what are the implications of signing Nathan McKinnon to the NHL's current biggest contract ever um, it's going to have some implications. The Avalanche are going to lose some guys. Uh, right now there is, it, there is, excuse me, a contingent of like those depth pieces that the Avalanche have. And I hate to call them depth because these are phenomenal players, but your Devon Taves, your Arturi Lekkanen's, your Valerie Nichushkin's, um, you know, JT Comfer, we know that's a luxury that they're no longer going to be able to afford as a third line center making that much, but there's going to be some guys that they're going to be losing, uh, that, you know, right now they can afford because Nathan McKinnon is not making seven million yet because he's making less than what Joe Sackick made. You know, actually a quick little fun fact just to go off topic for just a sec. Joe Sackick, that three-year deal that he signed with the was it the Carolina Hurt? No, New York Rangers. I'm thinking of Fedorov was Carolina, but that three-year uh, offer sheet that he signed with the Rangers, the first season of the three years was sixteen point four five million. So sixteen point four five of the twenty-one million Sackick made in one year. Did you know that is the second highest amount of dollars any player has made in any given season? Not cap hit, but like, you know, you know how Shea Weber, when he signed his deal, it was like 10 million, 10 million, 10 million, sure. 4 million. Yep. Yep. In any one given year, Yarmur Yager once made 17.4, and then Joe Sackick made 16.45. Third place, Mitch Marner a couple of years ago made 15.9. Like, that's all it takes. So Nathan McKinnon literally could sign an eight-year deal at $13 million per year, 104. The first year of that deal could be $17.5 million, and Nathan McKinnon will have broken the record for the most dollars a player has made in any given season. That's all it takes. It's, it's still crazy to think about it like that. I mean, considering the salary cap landscape, and you know, you've brought up multiple times on this podcast the creative ways you can structure a deal— I mean, don't you think it, it it would be detrimental to the Avalanche to front load the contract that much? Don't you think no matter what they give them, they really want to still backload it because of the situation and the recovery from COVID that they're still going through? Um, I think players are going to want it front loaded because right now we're entering the, the part of the bargaining, the collective bargaining agreement that was agreed upon during the COVID pause, the return to play one, uh, where over the next couple of years, the ex-grow escrow matches or maxes out at six percent i think it's ten percent this year and then six and 24 and six and 25 24 2024 and 2025 uh the reality is after these three years escrow is going to go up because i don't think the nhl is going to be at the point yet where it's completely paid everything off so as a player you want to make more money when the escrow is lesser and that's kind of probably going to be the way that Nathan McKinnon gets his deal too. I think he's going to make a lot of money up front and it's going to be set up in a way where 
you know, he might have a signing bonus heavy salary in 2026, which is the potential lockout year, because we always have to think about that in the NHL. Whenever an agreement is coming to an end, a CBA agreement, there could be a lockout. And then at the end of the contract, you want to be making less money within the terms of what's allowed so that if you retire, if you're bought out, you're not giving up as much money. So as much as the Avalanche aren't going to want to give him a lot up front, I think that's what Nathan McKinnon's going to want. Granted, They've done a good job with Gabe Landeskog, with Makar, Rantanen, where even if it fluctuates, it's not by much. Nathan McKinnon's a different ballgame. This is a player where all the rules you had before, you put them away. You know, if you're one of those GMs, not that the Avalanche are this, but if you're one of those GMs that doesn't like giving giving out uh, no trade clauses, this is the kind of player that you break that for. The St. Louis Blues lost Petrangelo because the St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong does not give out no trade clauses. And Petrangelo wanted one. That's why he didn't resign. He went to Vegas. Um, with McKinnon, it's going to be a different ballgame. So it's going to be very heavily loaded. I could see him wanting to go out of his way to say, I want to make 17.5 in one of these seasons just to say that I'm the highest paid NHL player ever. I could see him saying, I want to make 12.75 or 13 per year just to say I have the highest cap hit right now. But even at those numbers, like it's not necessarily the worst. The Avs are going to lose some guys. It's going to affect their depth, but not by much. Uh, I mean, I think I see I see the negotiations going pretty smoothly because I don't think Nathan McKinnon has all that stuff really in mind. Like, I, I think it's going to be very much like, hey, this is the number we want to give you. It's a lot. Nathan McKinnon's going to be like, cool, that works for me. I don't think he's really going to be like, ah, oh, can you give me a little bit more? Ah, oh, I think I deserve maybe a 1.5 higher in the year two because of blah, blah, blah. I think he's just going to take it. Um, Love the pay raise he's going to get and just get back to competing because he was very content on an extremely friendly deal for the past several years. I don't see him really, um, I guess, stirring up too much shit just to, just to you know, add a couple, I don't know, a couple mil. Yeah, there. so it's not going to be to add a couple mil, but it's going to be so that, look, as much as he's been fine with the last seven years, he also hasn't. And, and let's remember, nobody forced him to sign that contract. He did. And it came at a time where he hadn't really broken out yet. Uh, Nathan McKinnon and his agents, if they were smart in that summer of 2016, instead of signing a seven-year deal, they would have said, hey, Nathan, let's bet on you. Let's bet on you becoming a star. Let's sign a two-year $10 million deal, $5 million per season, and let's see if you can break out over the next 24 months. Well, he did break out over those last those next 24 months. The season where he was second place to Taylor Hall in the Hart Trophy voting would have been when that, you know, hypothetical two-year bridge contract would have expired. And he would have probably re-signed at the time. I mean, Dreisaitl was making eight and a half. So he would have probably signed long-term maybe nine, maybe nine and a half or something. So nobody forced him to sign that contract. But I promise you, nobody wants to be on the list of the most underrated or or sorry undervalued player the best bargain player nobody wants to be on that list that goes to say i mean it says you exceeded expectations but it also says i'm not making enough or let's put it this way i'm not making as much as i should be so nathan knows that so i don't think it's going to be a case where he wants to sit there and be like give me an extra 1.5 because of this or because of that but it's going to be a situation where comparables come into play like that's going to be the big one the fact that let's let's use an example that just happened nazem kadri had an 87 point season first time in his nhl career that he's over a point per game first time in his nhl career he plays that well you know, he's been good in the past, but way better. We've we've talked about it for months. 
and he got seven over seven. Seven years, seven million per season. What did JT Miller sign for? JT Miller just came off a 99-point season, which Kadri could have hit had he not gotten injured in March. Uh, JT Miller has also been a point-per-game player for the last three years with the Vancouver Canucks. He's had exceptional seasons before, 70-plus points, which Kadri's never done. And he's two years younger than Kadri. You have to think that when JT Miller signed seven years, eight million per, his agents are sitting there going, you can no longer give us seven times seven because Kadri got that and our guy's a little bit better. So when you look at comparables, um, a couple of years ago, I could have thought when Nathan McKinnon made those comments to Forbes magazine about, you know, taking a pay cut to keep the team together, I could have easily imagined and pictured in my brain, Nathan McKinnon making 10 million. That doesn't seem unreasonable, but Jack Eichel makes 10 million. Jack Eichel hasn't been a player in two years. And when he got to Vegas, he was coming off of his injury. They didn't play that well. Artemi Panarin, who everybody was talking about the Rangers losing to Tampa Bay because Panarin disappeared, makes 11.6. John Tavares, who everybody's talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs needing to find a way to offload this contract, makes 11 million. So the idea of Nathan McKinnon looking at Tavares making 11 and saying, I'm going to sign for 10, it's no longer an option. Artemi Panarin making 11.6 and him saying, I'm going to sign for 11, no longer an option. So that's why I think he's going to make the most money, not because what I said earlier about him being there thinking, yeah, let me be the highest paid player, even though I think that's kind of something that every player thinks about. But it's because the comparables just don't make sense for McKinnon to take to make $10 million. There's no reason why the Avalanche should get McKinnon for $250,000 more than what Columbus got Johnny Goudreau. Well, I think my comment also stems, you know, not only from Nathan McKinnon not necessarily being greedy, but I think the Avalanche are going to come out of the gate out of respect and out of, um, you know, an unwillingness to want to push him in any other direction. They're going to they're going to come out strong. Right. Last year, I remember us talking about the Gabe Landeskog negotiations and there was a lot more negotiating that took place. It kind of sounded like the Avalanche were. Um, lower than Gabe wanted, and Gabe wanted a bit more, and they had to work through that. I don't think that's going to be the the scenario here. I think the Avalanche are going to come out with a fair number. Nathan McKinnon's probably going to say, you know, it, that's close or good enough. You know, I don't think there's going to be too much of a of a back and forth. Yeah. So the number that I think of that could have that is twelve million. Because when you come out with twelve million, it's more than what Panarin makes, which is the second highest AAV in the NHL at eleven six, but it's slightly under Connor McDavid's twelve point five. That could be the scenario where McKinnon's like, "All right, twelve is great. Um, do I care enough to say give me an extra point six to be the highest paid player?" Probably not. Even though the NHLPA, like I said, is going to be banging his door like, "Freaking make more than McDavid, so the next guy can make more than you." Like we talked about last time when we recorded. Um, 12 million is the number that I could see being that as long as the avalanche structure it in such a way where it's more appeasing to a player, higher money in the first couple years, uh, very bonus salary laden contract, the year of the potential lockout, things like that. All right. Well, let's just give him 13 for let's hypothetical. 13. Yeah. All right. Now we know you have to crack eggs to make an omelet. I mean, it, we're going to look back and think what a joke it was that the Avalanche had both McKinnon and Kadri for less than McKinnon's about to make right now. I mean, that was <laughs> that was the anomaly here, having yep. those guys at such a good deal. So again, moving forward, there's going to be guys that maybe we want to keep around or maybe we consider a part of the future of this team that the Avalanche just simply aren't going to be able to hang on to because of the core guys that they're going to be paying. So I guess for starters, let's let's label the core. 
give me five or six guys that the Avalanche absolutely have to build the team around, and they're kind of the non-negotiables when it comes to who could we potentially let go, who's expendable down the line. I'm not saying immediate future, but let's think two, three, de- two, three years down the road here. Yeah, so the big three right off the bat are McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, and Makar. Those are After four, that, but yeah. Uh, sorry, the, the, yeah, the big three <laughs> forwards and the one defenseman. Uh, the big three forwards and the one defenseman that are very non-negotiable are McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, and Makar. After that, everything else is debatable. So kind of the the team that I look at as a as a you know someone to kind of lean on for this kind of exercise is the Chicago Blackhawks and their era of winning three cups over six seasons. It was Kane, Taves, and Hosa, Patrick Sharp, who ended up getting traded later. So I don't even know if you can think of him as one. Kane, Taves, and Hosa, Keith Seabrook, Chalmerson, and then Corey Crawford and Net. And then let's throw in Sharp just for shits and giggles. So those were their big guys. It was four forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie. Now, the goalie, we know the Avalanche don't really have that figured out yet. They're hoping they do. Uh, it could have been Grubauer if he re-signed, but he didn't. Kemper came. Kemper left. It's not It's not any of those guys. The four forwards, we've already got three of them figured out. The one defenseman, we got him figured out. No goalie yet. So if I was to... There's a lot of arguments here. If I was to say what, which of the forwards is going to be the big one in the core, you know, that supplemental sharp Hosa kind of guy, I think of Valerie Nichushkin. And it's not that I think of Valerie Nichushkin. It's I think the Avalanche think of Valerie Nichushkin because they gave him an eight-year deal at $6 million a year. Like we aren't talking enough about the fact that Valerie Nichushkin signed an eight-year $49 million contract. This is a guy coming off of a two-year $5 million deal. This is a guy coming off of a seven hundred. million 50,000 or whatever league minimum was in 2019-20 contract is now a 49 over 8 guy. The Avs offered Val Nichushkin more than they were willing to offer Ryan O'Reilly a few years ago. So it's at a point now where you can very much say McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, and Val Nichushkin. Those are the four guys that the Avalanche are going to go to bat for. Obviously, there's a conversation about new hook to be had, but of the forwards, I can't think of anybody better than those four. I, I don't know. Part of me thinks that the conversation to be had there is, does Nichushkin really last the eight years? I mean, I, I feel like out of anybody, I mean, first of all, going back to the Chicago comparison, it's wild to think of that core. None of them are finishing their careers as a Blackhawk, most likely, right? So it's just kind of heartbreaking to think that one day – all these avalanche players might be wearing a different sweater yeah. one day. Hosa did, but that was a very, his contract was set up in a 12 year deal in a way where he was going to retire Blackhawk. Right. Right. Um, but no, I think Nichushkin is, is the wild card there. I, I think we've seen some good production out of him and yeah, we love what he's done the year. I mean, not even the year after two months after a Stanley cup victory, we're still very high on Nachushkin. How long is that sustainable though? I think for the near future, we can rest easy. I think this year, maybe next year, he's still going to be playing at a good level, but I don't know how much he really has in him over these eight, eight years here upcoming. The reason why I disagree with that is because how many miles does this guy have on his body? Yeah. He's been playing. I mean, he was a rookie in 2014, the same year McKinnon was at the same age McKinnon was, but then he went to Russia. He played fewer games there. Then he came back to the NHL. He was a healthy scratch at times. Uh, he didn't make a lot of playoff runs before joining the avalanche. And those are all second round exits as we, you know, very famously know. So how many miles does this guy really have on his body? It's kind of like Devon Taves. Devon Taves is what? 27, 28, but 
just, you know, in his fourth or fifth NHL season where, you know, Val Nachushkin making or playing the next eight years with the Avalanche. If Nathan McKinnon finishes off this contract and then signs an eight-year deal, they're the same age where Nathan McKinnon will be starting his eight-year deal in year two of Val Nachushkin's eight-year deal. So I'm going by age and can he keep it up? That's a good question, but if this guy genuinely is a player that was just a late bloomer that needed to find the right situation, that needed to, you know, be in a situation where he's valued, where he's in a good place to play, good place to win, I think you can look at the Avalanche now and say Nichushkin for the next eight years is going to be about as good as he is now, or at least for five or six of them. And then if it tails off at the end, I mean, Landeskog is going to tail off at the end. We all know this. But what kind of tail off are we talking? Are we talking Landeskog's last year or two, he's putting up 45 points and we're like, yeah, that's good enough. Or are we talking Landeskog's year or two is like Iginla's last year where it's just a complete meltdown. So that's kind of the way I see it with Nichushkin as well. I can't see either. This is something that I could have seen with Kadri, but with Landeskog and Nichushkin, I can't see either of them tailing off to the point where they're just completely useless players i could see that i could see that just both of those guys play a very physical style that that yeah despite the fact that val has what like 200 less professional games than nathan mckinnon i think he does get that mileage on him a little bit more just because of the style he plays but uh, i guess that's to be seen i mean he he had the best year of his career last year you know previous years he had 10 goals 13 goals and then of course we remember the zero goal year in dallas so obviously um he he's trending upwards, but let's see how high that ceiling is and if 25 goals is the peak or not. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Uh, Patrick Sharp joined the Blackhawks, just to go back to that example. He joined the Blackhawks halfway through the 05-06 season. He ended up getting traded to the Dallas Stars the summer of 2015 after they won their third cup. So, you know, was Sharp valued as much as Hosa, Kane, and Taves? No. But was he there for a decade in all three cups? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing you could see with, you know, I can possibly see with Nichushkin. Maybe he does end up getting traded, you know, when the Avalanche win their third cup in six years, if that's what happens. But um, as of right now, again, Newhook is a big wild card because this is a player that's likely going to be getting a big contract soon. But as of right now, I can see, I can see that guy being the fourth piece all the while knowing he's the most likely of the four to everybody, not just to us, like the Avalanche know too, he's the most likely of the four that if the Avs had to trade one to clear up cap space, it's not McKinnon, Ranton, and Orlandiskog, it's, it's Val Nachushkin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then I think we can lock in Georgiev for a while just because of the price that they have him at. I think that's going to be what they're looking yeah. for out of a goalie. That's all they can really afford. So I think he's going to find a, a comfortable spot here and, and they're going to like paying that amount for a goalie so right there we're up to about 50 million dollars with those group of players including Val Nachushkin and Georgiev so you know I, where does the conversation go from here obviously there's Bo and Byram to discuss there's Sam Gerrard there's a handful of the defense that we've said that is a big reason that got them as far as they did what's their future looking like and you know you even failed to put Devon Taves into the core what do you think pan things pan out for uh how things pan out for him so the reason why i didn't put devon right away is because he's under contract i want to say for two more years at 4.1 million uh bowen byram is one year away from an extension of his own sam gerard still on the team a lot of moving parts so if you use the blackhawks model which i will go back to again four forwards three defensemen and a goalie 
We know who the goalie is. It's Georgiev because that's the option they have right now. I would say the only way Georgiev isn't the guy is if, you know, those backups that eventually get traded and become starters like Grubauer, like Cam Talbot once upon a time, uh, not Sampo Ranta, the other one, Anti-Ranta. Um, there was one that was an epic failure that I could think of off the top of my head was Scott Darling. I forget who signed him. I want to say it was the Florida Panthers. He was the Black. He was the Blackhawks backup to Corey Crawford, and then he no Carolina signed Carolina him. Carolina is what I was thinking. And then eventually traded him. Mm-hmm. He was not bad in Carolina. He was god awful. He was like an eight eighty <laughs> or eight seventy without looking up his stats. Like it was an epic collapse, an epic failure of a of a of a goalie. Um, Similar ish to what happened last year with Nedeljkovic, also from Carolina, coincidentally in Detroit. But Detroit was a bad team when Carolina got Scott Darling. They were expected to be a contender, and then they had another goalie end up leading the charge. So as long as he doesn't fall on his flat on his face like that, the Avalanche are going to pay this guy $3.4 million to be their starter and say we have a good enough team where you don't got to be an all-star. So that's the goalie. Now in defense or on defense, the Blackhawks had their big three. They had Keith, Seabrook, and Chalmerson. After that, you can always plug and play. You can plug and play Johnny Oduya. You can plug and play guys like that in and out of the roster. But those were their big three. Now, with the Avalanche, we're talking about four names. Taves, Makar, Gerard, Byram. So there's a conversation to be had there of which one's going to end up walking. Is it Bowen Byram, who what I mentioned last week, might want to eventually be the number one defenseman on a team? Is it Devon Taves, who, you know, it might be publicly known but i know it's it's very well known at this point that he was pissed when lamorello traded him to the avalanche he had just gotten married he had uh just settled into long island and then suddenly he's off to a new team and Devontae is a very hard guy to read like does he like it here it's very hard to really get a gauge of that guy yep. he's such a no nonsense <laughs> straight face kind of guy that like you can't really get to him but i know he loves playing with makar i know makar loves playing with him Kale McCarr at the parade literally went out of his way when he gave his speech to talk about his defense partner. Um, but does that mean he's going to resign with the Avalanche? Or does that mean in two years he is what Ryan Suter was when he left the National Predators and said, I'm going to leave Shea Weber and go be my own Shea Weber somewhere else and sign that deal with Minnesota? So, But then there's also the case of do the Avalanche find a way to keep both Byram and Taves and trade Gerard and just hope that one of Byram or Taves is willing to take a little bit less so that you don't have three guys making eight, nine, and 10. You have one of those guys making, you know, six, for example. I think the most likely of those scenarios is the Bowen Byram simply not fitting in, not because he doesn't want to be here, but there's, he wants to be a number one. And if you were in his shoes, every single person listening would also want to be a number one. You want to be playing first power play. You want to be the best defensive option, especially when on any other team in the NHL, he would be right. Almost without question, almost. Um, so I think as long as Kale McCars here, Bowen Byram will always be playing second fiddle and Knowing his personality, he's a guy that does give you a little bit to read off of. I think he has a little bit of selfishness about him where he wants to be bigger and he wants to reach that full potential. I mean, and again, I don't blame him. And it's not a bad selfishness. I right. I no, need no, to no. reiterate that. Nobody else should nobody should come at you or any of us saying that we're saying Bowen Byram's selfish. He just he has that fire. He has that fire inside of him that says, I want to go out there and be the best. And you can tell. And he knows deep inside, like Nazim Kadri has that fire. But Nazem Kadri also has a self-awareness to know, 
I'm not Connor McDavid. I'm not Nathan McKinnon. I'm not Austin Matthews. I'm not going to be the number one center of a team and lead them to superstardom. And if Nazem Kadri heard me say that right now, he'd be like, you're out of your mind. I absolutely think that. But deep down inside, he knows. He knows he needs to be on a team with good center depth, which was the first thing he mentioned in Calgary is Elias Lindholm, Michael Backlund, and me. Not a lot of teams can match up with that kind of a top three. And I agree with him. So there is a self-awareness there for a guy like Kadri who has that fire. Bowen Byram has that fire all the while knowing this guy could be a top five defenseman in the NHL. We aren't talking enough about the fact that the Avalanche literally have a guy on their roster who right now is their third most important defenseman who literally could be a top five D-man in the NHL and probably is going to be in the next 24 months. I guess just to play devil's advocate, do you, do you think we have the sample size from Bo Byram to really make these calls? I mean, let's not forget that there are concussion issues, and those can easily That's come back to play and show their ugly head at any moment. So do we have the sample size from Bo Byram to say, yeah, he's an absolute stud and he's going to be for a long time? The concussion thing is the big one. I could see Bowen Byram signing a two-year extension. He's got one more year left on his entry-level deal, and that's going to be this upcoming season. I could see him signing a two-year extension and then wanting out after that, so having a five-year career with the Avalanche, if that's the the, the scenario that ends up playing out. Byram ends up being the guy out. I'm not saying he wants to go out, but if if that's what ends up happening, then... I could see him signing a two-year extension simply because of those concussion issues. Like Alex Newhook, let's use him as an example. Alex Newhook gets entered into the second-line center spot this season, hypothetically, plays the entire year with uh, Nichushkin and Lekkonen, or Rantanen and Lekkonen, whatever the hell it is. Alex Newhook this season puts up 30 goals, 55 assists, 85 points. Gets to the playoffs, has a damn good playoffs. Newhook signing a big-money deal this summer. New hooks getting his big money. Bowen Byram has a good season. I think the Avalanche still will not be willing to give him that big money until they see it one more time, just because he'd have played in the NHL for three seasons and two of them were mired with concussion issues. And that's the reality. So I can see him signing a two-year extension, all the while knowing at the end of those two years, as long as all goes well, he'll have three more years in Denver. And then he's the big fish. And also, hey, guess what happens in three years? The salary cap is going way up. That's going to be the year that the NHL is expecting the cap to blast up. He's not going to be a UFA, but he'll be an RFA that the Avalanche could trade to a team that signs him instantly like what the Panthers did with Kachuk, except he won't be making what Kachuk's making at nine and a half. He'll probably be making 11, 12, 13 by that time. You know, assuming he's the guy that we expect him to be. So Bowen Byram seems to be like the easy one, but it's hard. Like, because you look at the other two guys and it's like Gerard might get traded next week or Devon Taves might be like, I'm out of here. Like, it's it's hard to really think. I think Devon Taves is the most likely of the three, despite the fact that I think there is a scenario where he leaves. He's the most likely of the three to stay, in my opinion. And there's there's just something precious about drafting a player who pans out, right? And I think when you draft a player that ends up being a really good player, you kind of have to jump through hoops to keep them around because it's it's tough to find and it doesn't happen often. And usually to get a great player, you got to really give up assets. So um, you got to cherish that that free find, I guess. Yeah, and uh, if it ends up being Taves, Makar, and Byram, which I don't know how hard how easy that's going to be because those are the three that'll be making all more money than what Sam George's making at five. If that ends up being the three, Makar, you drafted him because using the draft pick from the terrible 17 season. Byram, you drafted him 
in the Duchesne trade. Taves, you acquired him for two second rounders. Pretty good asset management there. Yeah, well, we're getting into this podcast. I haven't talked about either of our friends, uh, the sponsors of the show, most important people for our show, because without them, it's not alive. So let's talk about our friends over at Superbook Sportsbook. Football is back, and nobody is more excited than your friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Like I mentioned, Arif, for some reason I'm excited about football this year. I haven't been excited about Denver Broncos football in about, what, when was, five, when five was Peyton Manning here? Five-ish years yeah. or so, yeah. It's been a while. Six no, years. No, way longer. Eight years. It's been eight years. 2016. Six years. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> 2016. It's been a long time, either way. Um, Of course, we also got to mention our friends at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available, and did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself, or you can always find weekly deals events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need, and more. Arif, where do you want to take the conversation next? Did we get everything off your chest as far as the um, the repercussions from a McKinnon signing and what kind of contract he's going to be signing, or do you want to move on to PTOs? Uh, I guess the last one thing to mention about the McKinnon thing is um, what I could see happening given the way the salary cap is going to play out over the next three years is the first two years of McKinnon's new deal might might hurt. Uh, the Avalanche are going to lose, obviously, someone like JT Comfer. They might end up having to trade Sam Gerrard. Uh, obviously, they still have Josh Manson's four, four and a half million. Eric Johnson's coming off the book. So they're going to lose some guys. And if you think back to the two teams that have been the best in the NHL since the lockout in the salary cap area, it's the Blackhawks and it's the Penguins. And both of them kind of had that phase where they dropped a little bit. The Blackhawks won the cup in 2010, and they lost in the first round in 2011. They lost in the second round in 2012, and then they went back up and won the cup in 2013. And over those years, they kept losing players. The Penguins had something similar, but you can obviously blame that more on like the uh, Nathan, uh, not Nathan McKinnon, but Sidney Crosby concussion issues of getting Malkin knee injuries and and Flurry kind of dwindling his play a little bit, getting beaten out at one point by Brent Johnson or Thomas Grice, random goalies. So basically, my point is. I could see the Avalanche's dynasty not being the kind of dynasty like what we saw with the LA Kings, where for four years, you could not beat this team. They won the cup. They made it to the third round game seven against the Blackhawks and lost. And then they won the cup again. And they had a good season in 2015. And then they started to fizzle out. I think the Avalanche's dynasty is going to be more a situation where 2022, they won the, the Stanley Cup. 2023, they legitimately might win the Stanley Cup again. Then McKinnon's deal kicks in. The salary cap is still flat, goes up by a million. I could see him maybe taking a dip, maybe losing in the first round, maybe barely squeaking in as a wild card, winning a round and losing in round two. But then once the cap goes back up in 2025, Newhook gets a new deal and Byram gets a new deal and you have money to sign free agents for five, six, seven million dollars again. And free agents want to come to Colorado because they want to play with this good core. 
then I could see it kind of going back up. So similar to the Blackhawks, which I've used that example over and over again, I could see the Avalanche kind of having a similar trajectory where after McKinnon signs his deal, the very next summer or the very next spring, they might lose in the first round and people are going to be all over McKinnon for how dare you cap strap this team. But that's going to be temporary because the cap will go up. But we can both agree that there will probably be a point where the Avalanche are saying, shoot, we're a little bit tight on this salary cap thing. What do we got to do? But there's so many unpredictable things that can happen. I mean, players dip, players go up. Um, Certain players made available, right? We've always been hearing the rumor of Sidney Crosby potentially. I mean, I could see the Avalanche saying, you know what? Bowen Byram is worth a Sidney Crosby. So, you know, you never know, you know, how things are going to shake out and who's going to perform and produce and what, what things are going to look like. But it's a fun conversation to think about because it, it, it is going to be something that they're going to have to deal with. You know, they uh, have some fun ahead, but they also have some some real thoughtful times that they got to go through here yeah. to, to and it's, make sure that they're still good. It's really cool to compare to those two teams because the Penguins, their core was focused around two stud centerman and and Crosby and Malkin and then a great defenseman in Chris Letang while the Blackhawks it was more a stud center in Jonathan Taves a stud defenseman and a stud winger which the Avalanche have in Miko Rantanen and then you know other winger like uh, Gabe Landeskog and another winger like Nichushkin so similar to the Blackhawks when they won their Stanley Cups their second line centers were at one point in 2013 was Michael Hanzus on his last legs in 2015 this is one we always forget about, was Brad Richards on his last legs. So the Avalanche seemed like, now that Kadri's gone, let's see what happens with Newhook. But this could be a similar situation where, you know, maybe the Avalanche's number two center is a guy that would usually be a number three on most teams. But because they're so heavy on the wing with with wingers like Nachushkin and Landeskog that play a two, two-way game like Hosa, like Kane, that the number two center isn't built the way that the Penguins is built, for example. So... That's where that Sidney Crosby thing comes into play. Crosby's an all-star, but Crosby in a few years on his last legs might just be that supplemental piece you put in behind McKinnon. Yeah, and we know Nathan McKinnon's production isn't due to fall off anytime soon. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen him play a full season, but I don't even care about that anymore. If he's playing 80% of a season, 70% of a season, I'm fine with it. Um but yeah, I think I think Nathan McKinnon's production is going to continue at a steady level. That why not why not give him everything he needs, give him everything to make him happy, and try to keep him around here and be one of those few guys that spend their entire career in one location. Yeah, and and I think this is going to be the year Nathan McKinnon goes off for a hundred points finally. Right, like let's talk about a Nathan McKinnon with less weight on his shoulders, yes, right? I mean, we've talked bingo. about it for his entire career, how when he does have weight on his shoulders, he kind of tightens up a little bit. Well, now that that's off, what kind of Nathan McKinnon do we expect? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to be a lot more calmer, especially in the regular season, um, where he can go out there, produce points, and know that it, you know, the little things don't matter as much as they do in the past because you're going to be okay when the playoffs come around. I mean, look at the Stanley Cup final. Stanley Cup final, Nathan McKinnon had two goals, and they were in games five and six, I believe. He didn't score the entire series. He's, I think it was games five and six because five he scored in – yeah, he scored in Denver, and then game six he ended up scoring the uh, the first goal of the game and then assisting on the Lekkonen one. So you even saw the pressure was getting to him, and then he broke out, felt better. The Avalanche won both games, and the rest is history. So um, it's going to be so much fun to watch Nathan McKinnon throughout the regular season finally at a be, be at a point where – there's a lot of things that you got to learn along the way, but it's not going to be as stressful as in the past. 
It's what we've right? seen. I mean, Look at Alex Ovechkin the last three, four years since he won his cup. It's so fun to watch him. He's having a good time. Yeah, and as disappointing as it was that Jerome McGinley's time in Colorado didn't get very far, you know, I think that might have been pivotal for Nathan McKinnon to see how badly a guy like this wants it and, you know, for him to finally be able to scratch that off his list and not have that pressure throughout his entire career like Jerome McGinley had, yeah, I think we're just going to see a completely different player, a more powerful and more relaxed player. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we can see more power out of him, but I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be as good. I think he made those comments earlier about how uh, we're going to party so hard this summer. I don't think we're going to repeat or whatever the hell he said. Um, Obviously, just a joke. I think I genuinely do think he'll go off for 100 points this year. I think this will be the season he does it. Do you think he he looks to pass more? Because I remember, wasn't it this year where he said he was looking for his teammates a little bit more and he kind of stopped doing that and he got to scoring more goals? So. Does, does he get back to maybe looking looking for his teammates a little too much? I think he's I think he's going to get to the point where it's going to be similar to the end of last season. What was his early season? Was it two goals in like 20 games or something to start the year? Two and 25? Um, I think he learned a lot from that and a lot from the fact that <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking back to his quote where he had like two games in a row where he scored a goal or two and Peter Ball was like, how does it feel to break out of your slump? And he goes, what, what slump? I got 30 points in 28 games or whatever, <laughs> but it was like three goals and 25 assists. And Peter's like, come on, you know what I mean? He's like, eh, I know. Um, God, I love McKinnon's quotes. That guy, that guy has some like interesting comments every once in a while. But um, yeah, I think, I think he's, he learned a lot from that early start to last season where he's, he's gotten better at finding the fine line between should I be selfish or should I pass it? He always thinks pass first. He just has to be selfish in some situations and actually shoot the puck. Like he did the goal that he scored in game six, that tough angle shot against Vasilevsky to tie it up at one, one, that's not a shot he usually takes. So it was nice to see him do that. And I think he'll learn from that. And he always strikes me as the kind of hundred point player. That's like 38 goals, 62 assists or 40 goals, 60 assists. He's not a, 2080 kind of guy or you know like Johnny Goudreau who had 35 goals and 85 assists or 30 and 85 or whatever he seems to be more of the guy that like is a little bit more well balanced with the assist being a little bit more and as we saw from social media this week he gets a little bit obsessed shooting high glove (laughs) maybe just simply that awareness is gonna allow him to uh shoot elsewhere I love that um, last thing we need to get to is potential PTOs. Like you mentioned, training camp right around the corner. Avalanche always, I wouldn't say always, typically have a good amount of PTOs present, and every once in a while you see one make the team. So are there any names out there that you want to float that might be potential invites or even potential opening night lineup members? Members? Lineup? You know, We're, we're struggling here just a little bit. Um the forward that sticks out to me, because look, not every forward is going to take a PTO. The guys that are, um, you know, the, the, uh, who is it? The, who the hell is a big guy on still in the market? Sonny Milano, Sonny Milano, Evan Rodriguez. Those kind of guys are the guys that you expect will get contracts, even if they're for cheap, like Paul Stastny's one and a half or Phil Kessel's one and a half. Those are the guys you expect to get contracts. The players that I could more or less see on PTOs are a little bit lower. The two that stick out to me most as forwards, and one of them is going to make you laugh, but the first one is Tyler Mott. He was great last year, but it's kind of looking like he's losing his... There's not a lot of money left in the system, and that seems to be the kind of guy that might have to end up signing a PTO. 
Uh, he's the first one. The second one's more of a rough and tumble kind of player, but pretty good at his role is Anton Roussel. Those are the kind of guys that I could see the Avalanche going for on forward. But the position that met, that kind of sticks out to me more are defensemen because, you know, doesn't Kale McCarr hate Anton Roussel? Like, I feel like that's a just, thing. I kind of, I kind of yeah. vaguely remember that being a thing. Um, Anton Roussel, uh, known for playing on the most annoying line in the world with in Arizona with Jay Beagle, who uh, beat the lights out of Troy Terry that one time in that stupid play. But um, yeah, I feel like that is a thing. Makar and Roussel. Um, mm-hmm. Oh well, you, you, he's always chirping him. You, you got to learn to like a guy. When you get over like, that yeah. stuff. I mean, though, Brad yeah. May once played for the Avalanche. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I remember when Brad Stewart signed with the Avalanche and Gabe Landeskog. Yeah, he was like, "Welcome to the team. No hitting in practice, yeah, though. You please lit me up the third day <laughs> that I was named captain." Um, but the defensemen are the ones that stick out to me more because. Since we last recorded, we saw Ryan Murray sign with the Edmonton Oilers for league minimum, which I'm kind of surprised the Avalanche didn't bring him or Jack Johnson back. Uh, Jack Johnson's obviously gone. Um, The Avalanche, obviously, they have McDonald, they have McDermott, they have Brad Hunt, which was the veteran that they signed. But I could see them. I mean, Calvin DeHaan is the big name still left on the market. Is he going to get a contract or is he going to have to settle for a PTO? Uh, There's also guys lower down the roster like Chris Russell, who, again, not the biggest or flashiest name, and people are going to look at him and say, that guy sucks. But guess what we said about Jack Johnson 12 months ago? We said that guy sucks. Chris Russell seems to be the kind of guy to me that can play a very Jack Johnson-esque role and uh, is one that sticks out to me, um, as well as, obviously, uh, Calvin DeHaan and as well as uh, you know other guys like that that are on the market. But he seems to be the big one. Ben Harper is another one. He only played 19 games last year. But again, depth piece, that's all you're really looking for. Um, I think Ryan Murray only played 34 games last year, and he was making $2 million. So uh, the games played doesn't really matter as much as what the role is and the fit is with the team and obviously injury history. Um, and then another forward that sticks out to me is Tyler Ennis. So there's quite a few options there. And you know the Avalanche love bringing in these guys. Last year they brought in Jack Johnson and Artem Anisimov. So... I could see a couple of those names being invited. And with just over a million left on the cap, that seems like a perfect fit. I can easily see Joe Sackick and McFarland saying, let's just save that for a PTO. There's going to be some decent yeah. names out well, there. Well, they got they got a little over $3 million left on the cap right now. So they've got, they've got quite a few dollars to spend. But I just think that's the other thing. We mentioned it last week. The Avalanche are one of the only contenders in the NHL in a position where they have cap space where when somebody's available on the trade market, they can actually go out and acquire him because they have the cap space to do it. They don't have to do that cap gymnastics things where it's like, we want to acquire this guy, Claude Giroux. We got to trade him to Vegas to eat half the cap and then trade him to Arizona to eat the other half. I don't know why I use Vegas as an example. And then we can acquire him at one and a half. They don't seem to be the team that needs to do that as long as they keep that cap space and don't replace Kadri directly. So. Uh, that's something that's going to be big for them as well. PTOs, they get the upper hand. There's also a scenario, by the way, this happens rarely, but there's a scenario where a player gets invited on a PTO with one team, does so well, and then another team comes out and signs him. I've seen this before in the past. You know, There could be a team that can bring in Sonny Milano on a PTO. He has a great camp, and then the Avalanche swoop in and sign him because they have the cap space and can do it right away, and the other team had to be patient with, Solano, with, with Milano. So... Solano. There's a there's a lot of scenarios here that could play out that could really benefit the apps. Yeah, well, I guess we'll just wait in the next couple of weeks and see what names get unveiled. But 
Um, yeah, I guess that'll do it for today's edition of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. Don't forget to check out our friends at Total Beverage as well as Superbook Sports. Arif, you have a blast in Turkey. So what, I guess when can our listeners expect our next podcast? couple weeks, the weekend of September, what is that, 17, 18, Saturday, Sunday? I would say probably that weekend. The Avalanche will be wrapping up in San Jose and a couple days away from training camp starting. So we'll have the roster by then, and that's in 13 days. Like, it's coming quick. Yeah, and there's always something to be seen at these uh, rookie showcase camps. So definitely something you want to figure out a way to stream and, and catch as many games as you can as long as it works with your schedule. As long as the stream works too because those things always suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right on. Well, uh, thanks for hanging out with us today, and um, we'll see you in a couple weeks, guys. So that being said, if you made it far in the podcast, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.